This is Reverend Lynn Green, who is General Secretary of the Baptist Union of Great Britain. Uh, Lynn, can I ask you to come up and we'll just meet you briefly now and then we'll have a chance to, um, to, to get to hear from you a little bit later as you open God's right. words to us. So, Lynn, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Oh, now that's a challenge, isn't it, really? Well, I thought one of the things that was interesting was that I was baptised when I was 15 years old, and I had a call to ministry quite early on, but didn't really know what to do about it. So that was a long story I won't bore you with now. Um, I've had some other jobs. I was a marketing manager before I became a minister. I used to work in London and commute to London, and was actually involved with my husband in the Clapham train crash. Um, uh, many years ago. So I have since been in local church ministry, uh, which is wonderful. Um, and I've been a regional minister, and now I've been the general secretary for about two years. Um, I've got uh, a husband, Stuart, and four children. My eldest has just started at Southampton University, and my youngest is in year two. So um, if you know anything about what that means, that's a, quite a challenge. But anyway, they're lovely and um, keep me on my toes. And what do I, I was thinking about what do I enjoy doing in my spare time? <laughs> um, I do like reading, I like cooking. Yesterday, I had a lovely day, I cooked a quiche Lorraine, I cooked some smoked bacon and butternut squash soup, and I cooked some flapjacks. So that's really nice. So I like cooking and reading and walking and caravanning and all those kind of things. And with the rest of your time, you're General Secretary of the Baptist Union. Mm. Now, we call you General Secretary, we don't call you Archbishop Lynn. Mm. Um, why, why is that? What, what is a general secretary? What, what does this mean in Baptist terms? Yes, that's a very interesting question, and I thought probably one that Simon and Ruth could answer better than me, actually, so uh, they might want to elucidate later. Um, I would say that for us as Baptists, the, our authority is seen in Jesus Christ, discerned in the context of the local church. So any leadership that is exercised among us is kind of offered and received in this kind of mutual thing between us. So, so Simon and the team here, their ministry, regional ministry, and my ministry as well, is offered to the churches. And so it's not a kind of an authoritarian or, or hierarchical relationship. It's a, a relationship of mutual sharing. And so my job description says that I am to offer leadership to our union. And that's what I hope I am faithful in doing. Thank you. And I know people will want to pray for you this week and into the future, having had a chance to meet you today. <laughs> Other things that we can particularly pray for and support you and perhaps the wider Baptist Union as well. Okay. Um, for me personally, I often reflect on the fact that I'm first and foremost a disciple, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, I'm a minister. And for me to be faithful to God's call in those all those aspects of my life is really important. So that's a pretty good catch-all prayer for me. Um, supporting our union, being it, I just thought, really, it's about what I would ask from you is that you are faithful uh, in your discipleship following Christ, that you're faithful in your mission in this place and faithful in working in partnership with all of us to see God's kingdom come. So being who you are in relationship with the rest of us uh, is how you can best support us. Because the union is just churches like this one. Yes, our union is us all together. Yeah. Churches, associations and colleges working together. That's what it means. We are a team. Thank you. Isaiah chapter 43, and we're starting at the first verse. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you, 
I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my sight and honoured, and I love you, I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring forth the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. Let all the nations gather together, and let the peoples assemble. Who among them declared this, and foretold to us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to justify them, and let them hear and say, It is true. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no saviour. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, says the Lord. I am God, and also henceforth I am he. There is no one who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can hinder it? Our second reading can, is a continuation of the first reading, so on page 699 of the uh, Old Testament section, and starting at verse 14. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and break down all the bars, and the shouting of the Chaldeans will be turned to lamentation. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honour me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, so that they might declare my praise. Amen. Thank you. Well, I want to uh, begin by saying thank you very much for your invitation. It's great to be able to be here and share with you this morning, and I'm looking forward to lunch as well, I saw at one o'clock, so hopefully meet uh, some more of you there and chat with you then. Um, 
As has been said, I'm General Secretary of the Baptist Union of Great Britain, and uh, next slide, our vision together is um, growing healthy churches in relationship for God's mission. If you kind of think of that as our sort of umbrella vision for all our churches all around the country, that kind of is giving us some sense of focus. And we're doing that primarily, I think, in four different ways. Firstly, through pioneering and planting new congregations. Uh, secondly, through equipping local churches and supporting local churches in their mission in their localities. Um, also through investing in godly leadership. And finally, through enabling a voice in the public square so that uh, the voice of Baptist Christians can be heard uh, in the media, in politics, uh, in government. And so today I want to bring the greetings of our union and I also bring to you the greetings of David Kerrigan from BMS World Mission. And together, of course, we want to say thank you to you. Um, next slide, please. And we want to say thank you for all the ways that you encourage and release mission as a church. And you do that in lots of different ways. You do that through your prayer. You do that through your participation, not only locally, but uh, wider and through releasing your ministers and members for wider service. But also you do that through your giving, and that's important too. And so I wanted to come and to say thank you for that. Recently, um, I met some ministers from South Wales, and uh, I met Tim and Pearl Daniel from Riverside Baptist Church, Port Talbot, uh, a very challenging area uh, in Wales, high unemployment. And uh, they were telling me that the only church, there's only two churches left in the city centre of Port Talbot now. One is the Baptist Union of Great Britain Church and one is the Baptist Union of Wales Church. Don't go there, that's history. But anyway, Tim was telling me that um, their congregation is about 50 people on a Sunday morning and they have three wage earners, one of whom is him. And they're supported uh, through our giving as Baptists together. Uh, they're engaging in their communities. They're seeing baptisms. And uh, they just want to say how vital your support is to them. And I wanted to share their story with you today to say that you are enabling a church to stand in that place, to hold out the light and the life of Christ, to see lives and communities changed. And you are part of that. So I wanted to share that with you. But anyway, this morning, on to the next slide, I'm, I've come to talk particularly uh, from this passage, and I want to focus particularly on verses 18 and 19. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. This is a passage that God has been speaking to me through for a couple of years now, and I believe that he, there's that sense for me that he wants to do a new thing among us. Um, but before we kind of think about what that might mean for us, I think it's important to stop and to recognise, isn't it, that new things bring a whole mix of emotions. For some people it means one thing, for other people it means others. My, one of my daughters recently uh, went on an outward-bound-style residential trip with teenagers from a neighbouring special needs school. And before she went, there was all the kind of the excitement and the anticipation, wasn't it? You know, she's going to have a week off sixth form, so that's got to be good, hasn't it? Uh, they're going to do all these great activities. She's going to have all the late nights, staying up, uh, chatting into the middle of the night and all that stuff. So lots of excitement. But there was also, as we got closer and closer to it, the fear and the trepidation. She was out of her comfort zone. 
would she be able to cope? C could she do the activities? Could she support uh, these other teenagers? She, she felt fear and trepidation. But she went, she took her courage, she embraced this new opportunity, she went and she's had the most amazing week and come back with amazing stories and has grown and changed as a result of facing her fears and kind of hanging in there. Another one of my daughters was invited to join the Berkshire Maestro's Guitar Academy. She's beginning to learn the guitar and she's quite good at the guitar and they, they obviously say to some of them, would you like to join the, the Guitar Academy? So. This was great rejoicing in our house. We felt this was great encouragement for her. And we were all excited, looked online. What did it mean? Well, it meant this and that and the other. But it also meant that you could go free on a two-day uh, holiday course for her instrument, free of charge in the year. And so, oh, as parents, we were thinking, fantastic. What's not to like? This is really, really good. But the more we thought about it, the more my daughter, she was quite excited on the one hand, but the thought of this two-day course was just like, oh. and she thought, no, I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I won't know anyone, and I don't know where it is, and I might not be able to play the music. And we tried all sorts of things. I'll go and I'll sit with you, and we'll do this, and we'll do We went through every option to try and help her to manage this sense of fear and trepidation. But in the end, she said no and she didn't go. So new opportunities bring a whole mix of emotions, do they? Don't they? They're exciting and they're wonderful, but they often involve facing our fears as well and being honest about those. And in this passage we've heard read this morning, the prophet Isaiah is addressing similar issue with God's people. He's speaking to them during their captivity in Babylon. They're in exile, they're in a foreign land, and he is promising them from that place of exile salvation and deliverance. And there's many threads as we've read that chapter. He talks about the fact in verse 11, he is a saviour. In verse 14, he will topple the regime. He, he keeps saying, yes, I'm going to save you, I'm going to deliver you. You might be in exile now, but new things are coming. You will find freedom and you will uh, know my salvation and deliverance. And this was amazing news, of course. Wouldn't that be great if you were in exile to know that it was going to end? You were going to go back. It was wonderful. But yet, also maybe frightening as well. God's people had been in exile so long. Many would have been born in exile, not known anything different, just the stories of what was it, it was like back home. There must have been that longing for freedom, that longing for a homecoming, and yet the tremendous challenges, the challenges of the journey of striking out into new territory, the challenge of, of entering a new space. And despite all the hardship and the oppression they had faced in exile, they would still be leaving behind the security and the familiarity of what they knew. So along with this message of hope and deliverance, Isaiah also brings reassurance. Reassurance that the God who brought them out of Egypt in the past into the promised land so many years before can do this again. And the passage is full of Exodus imagery reminding the people that God goes with them. And so verse 18 is a bit strange, isn't it then? It says, forget the former things. Oh, 
hold on a minute, you, you, you were just saying, remember that, you know, remember that, that, you know, that it's not going to be all bad and I'm taking you. So why do you say remember and then say forget? What's that all about? Well, I think the emphasis here in this section is on not dwelling on the past. And there are many ways we can dwell on the past, aren't they? The first way is a, what I might call a good old days nostalgia. Some of you may suffer with that. Harping back to some former golden era that actually prevents or avoids engaging with the present. You know, you can imagine, can't you? Oh, do you remember the day when there were a hundred children in the Sunday school? Or we remember the day when the church was full, all the seats upstairs, everything was full on a Sunday morning. Oh, those were the days. Or even, I was just thinking about my own church, you know, do you remember the day when we had a proper evening service? (laughs) There's so many ways, and you could think of some more, I'm sure, of the ways that we hark back to a golden era when things were amazing and different. But it's no good living in the past. As the picture says, don't look back. You're not going that way. Don't dwell on the past. Because you see, the other aspect of dwelling on the past, I think, is that sometimes the more that we dwell on the past, it's not just an avoidance of the present, it can be something that straitjackets us, that unhelpfully defines our future. So there may be a church that uh, many years ago, while I was hearing the other day of a church that had a bad experience of elders in the church, and a response of a church can then be, that's it! That was awful. We're never going there again. We'll never have elders. We'll never do that ever again, all time. And our future will be defined by that difficult experience. And interestingly, I was talking to this minister earlier this week who said that he was ministering in a church and there's been lots of healing. And 15 years on, they have got elders again and it's working well. They were able not to be straitjacketed by their past, but to reflect on what was good and what was not good, and to think about what God was saying to them now and enable them to come into a new future, into a new way. So whether the past is good or is bad, one thing this passage makes clear is that if we are heading out into new territory, the way we've always done it is not going to help us now, not if we want to keep in step with God's purposes. What we do need to do, however is to focus on who God is. It wasn't what God did then that mattered. It was what God was then that mattered. It wasn't the way that God saved his people in the past. It was the fact that he did save them and that the God who saves in the past is the sort of God who will save and deliver in the future. But who knows how? (laughs) Who knows how? That's the newness of it. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. So I'm wondering what it means for the Lord to urge you not to dwell in the past, but to keep in step with God's purposes. What that means for you as an individual, what that means for you as a church, what that even means for the community here around this church. And I'm wondering too, how is the Lord who has been unutterably faithful to you in the past, how is he leading you in the present?
we go on to see that phrase, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And it's interesting that word perceive there, isn't it? To see God's new thing requires a level of prayer and discernment that arises out of intimacy with God. It's not about pestering God with our own agenda of what he needs to be getting on with, more about our seeking of him for our hearts to become more closely resembling God's heart, for our lives to be more closely in step with his spirit, for our hopes to reflect God's hopes more for creation. And so last year in May, I shared uh, with our churches a call to prayer, which has become called Beacons of Prayer, encouraging people to, with me, to wait on God, to seek him with no agenda in that sense, just to seek him. And it's interesting, that was May last year, and I've just been reflecting in recent weeks of of what kind of comes out. We, We set out on this path, and I have no clue what God might do through it, if anything at all. Um... But I've begun to reflect and see two threads that are coming out for me. Interesting whether you um, echo these. The first thing I think, the new thing that God seems to be doing, is about bringing about a deeper discipleship in me, (laughs) and I hope then in others. And one key aspect for me has been this sense of of just a deeper awareness of my self-centeredness and also the dominance of self-interest in our own culture. And I think this has been brought into sharp focus with the current refugee crisis. He goes on to say, doesn't it, I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wastelands. On Thursday, I visited the jungle in Calais and saw firsthand some uh, one aspect of this upheaval we're seeing in the world and part of that upheat, part of the thing that is kind of engaging with me is that I'm just so aware that I have so much and others have so little. And the challenge for me is, is am, am I willing to let go of my privilege and power and resources and comfort so that others may flourish as well? And what would that really look like? I, I don't know. But am I willing to let go? I visited um, the home of a Syrian. It is his home, but when I describe it, it, it was not as big as your baptistry. It was a wooden kind of shelter, uh, and we it, it, with a little gas uh, gas ring, camping gas ring, and a bench and a, and a bed kind of sofa and a little coffee table. That was it. And on the inside of the door, this Syrian uh, man had written. <laughs> Liberté, égalité, fraternité. <laughs> and he pointed it to me and said, but for who? For who? And I just thought, yeah, that this is, you know, we want all these things for ourselves, but for who? And I was just, it just struck me so movingly. People are looking to our nation as a place of refuge, of peace, of justice, of freedom, because that's who they see us to be. And I spent some time um, with the Iranian, the Iranian men, Christian men, who have sewn their mouths together 
and are on hunger strike because of the demolitions that have been happening, bulldozing parts of the camp. And as we sat with these men, they were able just to say a little, and one said, we have come to find these things, and we are not even treated with human dignity. And as I sat with them in the camp, I wondered, what are we becoming as a nation? And wondering where it exactly was that we came adrift from our own noble ideals. This picture here, you can't see it very clearly, but there is actually a vine and a fig being planted there on one of the perimeter fences with the new, one of the new areas of containers they're putting in for the refugees. And they've been planted with the verse from Micah there with the vision that one day we will sit down together under our fig and our vine in peace and not be afraid. So something about self-centeredness, self-interest that starts in me and is reflected in our society. The other main thing I think I perceive that God is doing at the moment is something about connectedness. I see in different places all over this sense of connectedness. I see it across our churches. I'd love to see more, but I do see it across our churches. I see it across churches in this uh, nation, churches together in England, for example, trying to get leaders together to build relationships. And so I went to a meeting recently with you know, all the orthodox right to the free churches. What a big kind of interesting mix of people there, but trying to build relationships to hear, to understand, to share together. But even across cultures and faiths, in the jungle I met Syrians, Ethiopians, Iranians, Sudanese, Afghans. They are there from all over the world. And we recognise that in our own country too, don't we? The whole world is coming here to our doorstep. All nations are being shaken together. And I think there's a sense here of, of a coming together that's not about syncretism, about watering down and compromising, but that's about a deeper and more beautiful understanding of the richness that we hold and we share. I spent a very profound hour or so drinking tea with cloves in it um, with a man from Sudan, and we talked about connectedness and community and understanding and it was a humbling experience. Which brings me back, I think, to beacons of prayer. And this is a picture that uh, uh, our former president, Chris Duffett, has painted for us. Beacons of prayer, which is an invitation to pray and to seek God. Because it's not us that is going to bring about new things. It's God. So often in that passage, I am doing a new thing. I am making a way, says the Lord. And I really believe that we need to make space for the Lord to seek him in prayer and through scripture, to cooperate with his purposes for humanity and the whole of creation, to bring ourselves in line with him and to pray, Lord, come and have your way among us. Come and fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Come and draw us closer and closer to you so that our hearts may become your heart in full awareness that his new thing 
will fill us with fear and trepidation and push us out of our comfort zones as much as it fills us with hope and anticipation. But my prayer, and what I pray for myself and us all, is that we will want more than ever our longing will be to be in step with Jesus and to be following him close on his heels. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. May it be so for the glory of his name.